0: I really want us to maybe learn how to make advent a part of our year long vocabulary that that advent and and the coming that 's what it, it 's anticipation of a coming and and the the, um, the 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 weeks of advent lead up to the week after Christmas is actually looking at the second advent, but the whole thing is really focused on on the coming of Christ and I want to encourage us to try to um, put advent in maybe our our entire year as we anticipate the times, and uh, Christ's coming more and more um, all the time. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Um, I, I mentioned the Processing Center in Dallas, where a lot of people have gone. Um, to try to set up maybe the reason I'm going to do the message I'm going to do, and how, why I'm going to pursue it the way I'm going to pursue it, I want to tell you, um, last Saturday, after Thanksgiving, Dawn and I drove to Chicago where she's currently working at the processing center that's in the Chicagoland area. It's, the, um, it's actually um, west of Chicago. Um, they couldn't get anybody to work in Chicago. Um, who would want to do that? Um, but in some of the western suburbs of Chicago, um, in Aurora is where the, the processing center is, and that's her working at the processing center. She's a team coach. She's going to be there for a couple of weeks. Uh, she's still there. And um, when we drove up there last Saturday, and then I flew back on Monday. I'm going to fly back this Thursday. We'll drive back next Sunday um, while she's up there working, and I'll bring her back. But we did a really fun thing. Um, the Processing Center is in Aurora, and it's right on the border next to Naperville, which is the, It's where Dawn grew up. She grew up in Naperville, 14 years. She was there in Naperville. It's just south of Wheaton, western suburb of Chicago. Um, so we were there in Aurora, um, but literally just across the street from where our hotel was, Naperville starts. And so we had a little bit of time last Sunday, and one of the things we did was really fun. wasn't planned. It was just spontaneous. Um, we'd been to Naperville. I mean, she, she left there in 1984, something like that. Um, but we've been back. We've seen her house. But we, we went back to her neighborhood where she grew up in Naperville. Believe it or not, she lived in Green Acres, um, <laughs> the neighborhood. Um, but we went to see her house, and, and we just spontaneously came up with this idea: let's do this. Let's let's trace all of the ways that she used to ride her bicycle to her friends' houses. Okay, so it was. I mean, we didn't plan this; it was just kind of a, on a whim. And so we started at her house um, on North Lane in Green Acres, and we drove to Jenny Heise's house the way she would go on her bicycle. Um, and it was just a ton of fun. We got to, you know, a little place and she said, I'd cut through the forest right there. And you'd look and you'd go, that's a bank. Um, and because it's, Naperville has grown from 16,000 to 180,000 uh, since she left. Um, but it's, it's big. But we, we, then we came back to her house and then we drove to Mary Miller's house. Um, and, and it was just so fun to just kind of take all these paths and retrace these paths that we, that, that she, um, that she used to go through as a kid. Now, at the end of that, I kind of came to a, a bit of a conclusion, and that is her parents were insane because some of these routes were like, she's on a bicycle just riding on a three-speed bike, you know, four miles away to Mary's house. I'm like, your parents were crazy to let you do this, but it was a time long, long ago. Um, but it was just, it was a fun t- thing to, to get on the bike or get on, in our car and trace the route that she rode on her bike. Today's message is going to be a little bit like that. So just anticipation. I like that kind of thing. It was just so fun. Uh, to do it. I don't know if you think it It was just a blast. And today's message for me is going to be a blast. Um, what we're going to do is today we're going to look at an obscure Old Testament prophecy and how perhaps it overlaps with something that takes place um, in the New Testament. We're going we're to talk about the Magi, the visit of the Magi, the, the wise men, as they come to, to worship Christ. We're going to start in Matthew, but we're going to go anchor that in, in a place that it may intersect back in the book of Numbers with an Old Testament, old, pers- obscure prophecy. We, I mentioned it when we were going through our study of Numbers a couple of weeks ago. Um, as we look at the, the Matthew passage, um, Grant Osborne, great commentator uh, on the book of Matthew, um, has an outline that I just want to go over to kind of guide us as we, as we move through this passage. He, he highlights that the passage really has three parts. It's, it's the Magi coming to Jerusalem first where they encounter Herod, and they ask, where is he going to be born? Then they go from Jerusalem, they make their way to Bethlehem, and then they go home a different way because they've been warned. When they come to Jerusalem, they have a question, and, and that is, hey, where should we go? We know there's a king who's going to be born. We, we followed this star, and we think there's going to be a king born. Where should we go? Well, this upsets Herod. He's famous for being um, paranoid and violent, um, and uh, he, he is really upset and he, he, he asks the question, well, I'm going to find out where he's supposed to be born. Um, Herod, by the way, Caesar at one point said about Herod, um, it's, it would be better to be his dog than to be his son um, because he had killed a couple of his sons and one of his wives because he was paranoid of the control that they would have. Um, and so he's upset that they're looking for a king because he's like, I'm the king. Um, but he, he's going to find out where. And so he asks the scribes, and they give the answer because the scribes know the Old Testament. They're going to f- find the answer, and he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So the Magi now leave Bethlehem or leave Jerusalem. They go to Bethlehem, it's just about six miles away. Um, and, and Herod tells them as they're leaving, Tell me if you find him. Um, the star, then the star that had been guiding them, now guides them right to Bethlehem. And then the Magi give their gifts. Uh, to the child king. But they've been warned in a dream, don't go back to Herod, that guy, um, he's bad news. Don't go back that way, go back another way. That's what we're going to see in this passage. So let's, uh, let's trace this out. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he's already been born. We don't know how long this has been. But after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east... We're on a little bicycle tour here, okay? Remember, they're from the east. These guys have showed up from the east. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Just a couple little things. These wise men, um, known as magi, they're not magicians. They don't do magic spells. They're not pen and teller of the first century. That's not who they are. They are um, more like um, court advisors, to the royalty, and they are doing research they 're paying attention to everything they can. They pay attention to the signs in the in the skies, the stars they pay attention to all that, but they're also scholars who search religious books and they take all of this and they deliver it to the royalty. You see them in the book of daniel they, they 're the people in the book of daniel who can 't do the job well, but Daniel does the job well. This is who these wise men are; they really are wise men who are um, paying attention to everything they can. Now, they're from a pagan land, but they're they're paying attention to all these signs, and they see a sign. Um, and they come from the east, and they make their way to Jerusalem, and they're, they're saying, we saw this sign. And the question is, you know, they saw a star, but how did they know they're looking for a king of the Jews? We're going to get to that eventually here. Um, we've seen his star, and, and we've come to worship him. Um, now, get on your bike. I'm going to take a little tour. Here's here's a current map of the Middle East. You can see the big desert of Saudi Arabia there. You can see a little bit of the African continent, Egypt, um, Iran, uh, Iraq, Pakistan. I'm I'm going to zero in on the Middle East. As we zero in there, um, I'm going to point out Jerusalem is right there, and where these guys are coming from is somewhere over here in Persia, so Iran, Iraq, some, somewhere over there. They're coming from the east. This Do you see how that's... I want everybody to kind of get your, your compasses out today as our little bike trip through the Old Testament takes place. Um, these guys are coming from the east, all right? So, they're guys coming from the east, and they're making their way to Jerusalem. They find the king in Jerusalem, and they say, hey, we're looking for another king. Um, and and Herod's worried about this. When the king Herod heard it, he was troubled. Um, obviously, he's thinking, I'm the king. <laughs> They're looking for another king. And all Jerusalem was troubled with him. Why would all Jerusalem be troubled? Probably because they knew Herod's reputation. It doesn't seem like the wise men know Herod's reputation uh, because there seemed to be somewhat trusting of him. But all Jerusalem knows, oh my gosh, if somebody shows up in Jerusalem looking for a king that's not King Herod, Um, boy, this is not going to be good. We saw what he did to his kids, to his wife. Um, This could go wrong. And it actually, all of Jerusalem's concern is justified because later he's going to slaughter innocent children in Bethlehem. But after calling together the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired for them where where the Christ was to be born. Herod... He's not Jewish, he's he's a, he's a descendant of Esau, so he's, he's not a descendant um, of Jacob, um, but he's, he's been made the king, not Jewish, doesn't know the scriptures well, he knows the people well, and he knows how to pacify them, um, but he's really, he's not interested in studying the scriptures. He has to get the scribes and the Pharisees together and say, hey, what's, what's going on? Where is this king going to be born? So they said to him, the scribes and the Pharisees, who would have been great students of the scriptures, they say to him, in Bethlehem in Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Now they're going to quote two passages from Micah and 2 Samuel. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you will go out a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Um, they do what kind of rabbis do at that time. They put these passages together and say, yeah, this, these words kind of go together and, and it's going to be in Bethlehem and he's going to come and he's going to shepherd the people. He's going to be the ruler of the people. And so the scribes and the Pharisees tell Herod, who lets the wise men know, it's in Bethlehem because it's been predicted in the Old Testament. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and determined precisely from them the time when the star appeared. Um, now, he's going secretly because I think he knows if I have too many people in here, people will let him know, don't trust this guy. So he meets with him secretly. He says, how long has this been? Uh, And he said to them, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go inquire carefully concerning the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I also may come and worship him. Bethlehem's just like six miles away. Would have only taken a couple hours to get there. It was a quick trip. And I mean, with the transportation resources that Herod would have had, he could have gotten there very quickly. But he's, he's really not that interested other than he feels like he's got these guys in his back pocket. He's had this secret meeting with them. Let me know when you find him. So he sends them off to Bethlehem and he says, I'm going to come worship him. That's not at all what he wants to do. <laughs> he doesn't want to come worship at all. After they listened to the king, they went out and behold, the star which they had seen at its rising led them until it came and stood above the place where the child was. This star that they'd been following, it seems like the star gets them to Jerusalem, and then they're like, okay, now where do we go? We're at Jerusalem. We need, we need a little bit more information, which I'm suspecting, I'll try to let you know, that it probably is what happened back in their homeland. They saw the star. They knew something was up. They searched the documents, and they find something in the documents that leads them to Jerusalem. Now they get to Jerusalem and they say, Hey, we need something more in the documents. The documents, the religious documents are going to get us to Bethlehem. They get up and, and they were excited. <laughs> Behold, our word. Behold, look at look at it. Uh, the star, which we saw when it first rose, led them, and it and it comes and it stands above the place where the child was. It it just hovers over the house where they were. This, by the way, doesn't look like a, a real star. Okay? I, I know I mean we portray it as a star. Um, people have tried to figure it all out. Uh, Grant Osborne, who I used earlier, he says this, the star has been variously explained with reference to natural phenomena, supernovas, comets. Um, Some people have tried to calculate Halley's Comet may have been involved here, but the dates don't work out. But he goes on to say, the most likely is it's a supernatural event, possibly similar to the pillar of fire in Exodus that moved before the Israelites. I think that's probably what's going on here, and I'll see if I can make a case for it. Um, this is probably not just a regular star constellation that's a comet or some kind of uh, event in the skies that's, that's regular. Okay? This is something very, very different. This is a light, looks like a star them, but it's moving. It goes to Jerusalem, seems to go away. Then it comes back and it goes to Bethlehem and it hovers over the house where the baby was. It seems to be Supernatural. Now, when they saw the star, they rejoiced very greatly with great joy. They were were super excited. Oh, there's the star. It's going to lead us again. And when they came to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. What Herod was supposing he was going to do, these guys actually do. They are seeking this out. They've seen a sign. They've gone to uh, find the scriptures. They've, they've now located the Messiah, and they worship him. And opening their treasure boxes, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because of the three gifts here, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that's where the tradition comes that there's three wise men. We don't know how many wise men there were. Maybe just one. There may be a whole entourage, maybe in 10, 20, we don 't know, but because there 's three gifts, people have kind of said, maybe there are three wise men, and there 's even traditions that give them names we don 't know it 's probably some entourage of people um, that would have made a big stir when they got to Jerusalem and, and found Herod um, so they they now worship the baby and they recognize this is the one that that we 've been looking for that God has led us to and and, and he's worthy of worship. We, we've read that, we believe it, we've seen supernatural guidance that got us here, and obviously he, he needs to be honored. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. <laughs> they, they realized, oh, Herod really is up to something, and the dream warned them, don't go back, you can't trust that guy. Um. I'm going to pause here before I get into the second part of our little journey on our bicycles through the Old Testament. Um, <laughs> let me make a couple of applications. First of all, um, I want to: Are you more like Herod, or are you more like the the wise men? Is Jesus a threat to your control? Um, is he a threat when 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 you encounter Jesus? Um, is your sense, oh no, he wants another piece? Oh, he's going to get that. Or is Jesus somehow, like the wise men, a satisfaction to you? Oh, this is exactly the peace and the relief and the freedom that I was looking for. And is he worth the time? They seem to have been searching, if you put it together, it looks like they've been searching for two years. This has been a two-year process for them. Are Are you willing to continue to lean in towards Jesus over the duration of time? Or do you just go, hey, I need an answer quick. You don't have an answer, I'll do it my own way. Will you keep following Him? Will you pursue Him over time, over time? And is Scripture guiding you? They they got a, a certain amount of the way, but they had to get Scripture to get right to Him. Scripture is the one, the final piece of the puzzle that gets them to where Jesus is. And then finally, I want to ask, is Jesus really the object of your worship? Is, is He is he the one that you go, hey, I'm sacrificing for? It's, it's, it's for Him. It's, it's all about Him. And and getting as many people as possible to worship him. Is that really what drives you? Is it, is it directing people to him or is it getting stuff from him? Um, just a little pause. The wise men making their way to Bethlehem, it raises a question. How did they get started on this journey? I mean, certainly the star comes up and, and they're following the star. But there may be a little bit more behind it than that. I don't know for sure. Um, I'm speculating, but speculate along with me. And see by the end of this if you think maybe um, I'm on something. By the way, there's a couple of question marks at the end of the sermon outline. It's because I'm not sure, but maybe. Um, get on your bike, okay? Get on your bike. Let's take a tour through the Old Testament. Um, Alan Ross gives us the map. How then did they know to come to Jerusalem? The straight answer is that we don't know, we can only speculate. These types of wise men were diligent to discover what signs and omens meant. And if they had recourse to the holy books of Israel, which they very well could have in the East since Babylon remained a center of Jewish studies. By the way, Ezekiel was in Babylon. Uh, Babylon has one of the greatest collections of the rabbi's writings. It's called the Babylonian Talmud. Uh, Daniel was in, um, in Babylon. He's in this area. By the way, Daniel is even responsible for saving the lives of the magicians at one point. Um, Nebuchadnezzar gets upset because no one can tell him the dream. He's getting ready to kill him. And Daniel says, listen, I got this from the Lord, but don't kill those guys. So maybe there's some appreciation for, for the, the Jewish books and e- maybe even Daniel and some stuff from Ezekiel. But we know Daniel and Ezekiel were in this area and they would have had the Torah with them. Um, they might have come across the prophecy of Balaam. I talked about this a couple weeks ago in Numbers, an early prophet from the east who had predicted that a star would march forth from Israel, Numbers 24, 17. We're going to see that in just a minute. Maybe, maybe this is what's going on, and Balaam, a little highlight here, you're going to, have to put your compasses to work here, Balaam is from the east. Um, Dr. Ross goes on to say this, it may be that they saw the phenomena searched their collections of books, talked to various scribes of different religions, and learned that Israel was the place. If they had inquired about it further, they might have discovered that this one who was to be born would be special, worthy of worship. Then, when they came to Israel, where would they have gone looking for a king but to the palace? Now, the question is, you know, is this this really possible, okay? Let me take you back to our study of the book of Numbers. If you remember, in the book of Numbers, the Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness, and as they're wandering around in the wilderness, um, they have. This is after they fail to go into the land at Kadesh Barnea. They're wandering around. Um, they're moving towards the the land, uh, and they're getting ready to enter with um, Joshua leading them. Just before Moses pauses and preaches the book of Deuteronomy, and while they're there, um, this king of Moab, um, he's worried about them, and he hires a prophet, Balaam who's from the east, uh, to curse them. Uh, Here's how it works itself out. "'Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab "'and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. "'Now Balak, the son of Zippor, "'saw all the Israelites had done to the Amorites, "'and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. "'Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. "'The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, "'This horde is going to lick up everything around us "'as an ox looks up the grass of the field. "'Hey, we're toast!' We've seen what they've done to other nations here that tried to rise up against them, and we're, we're in a lot of trouble. Balak, what are you going to do? So Balak, summoned of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor near the Euphrates River in his native land. He summons Balaam, who's from Pethor. Um, Pethor is up there where the arrow is. <laughs> It's up in that area of Persia, near the Tigris and the Euphrates, where all of those Persian, Assyrian, Babylonian kingdoms are up in that area. He's from the east. That's where he's from, that area. Let's keep reading. When he begins to deliver his oracles, by the way, um, the Lord's really speaking through him, and he must have had a, a pretty famous reputation for Balak to say, I'm going all the way to get this guy. He probably is world-renowned for his, for his uh, predictions, his cursings. And, and Balak says, i got to get this guy. I'm going to hire him. I'm going to bring him down. I'm going to pay him to curse the people. And he tries to curse them a number of times. But every time he curses them, the Lord really does take over and he blesses them. He uttered his oracle and said, the declaration of Balaam, son of Beor, and the declaration of the man whose eye is closed, the declaration of the hearer of God's word, and the knower of knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of Shaddai, who is falling, and his eyes are revealed. He's going, hey, God speaks through me. (laughs) He's done it a couple times already. He's going to do it again. And here's what he says in his third prediction, his third attempt to curse the Israelites, that God overrides and turns it into a blessing. He says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Here's the deal: a star will go out from Jacob, and a scepter will rise from Israel. A star that guides, brings light, and a scepter, this is the the image for a king. A king will rise from Israel. It will crush the foreheads of Moab and destroy all the children of Seth. By the way, if you're the king of Moab and you've hired this guy to curse the Israelites, and then he says, this guy's going to arise, and he's going to crush the Moabites. He's not your friend anymore. So they run him off, um, but he comes back, and he says, Listen, I know this is the end of the story. I, I know how you can get the Israelites. I can't curse them, obviously. I keep trying, and I, and I keep blessing them. But if you can get them involved in sexual immorality, Balak, then God will judge them, and he does that. Um, eventually, in Numbers chapter 31, the Israelites realized that Balaam was behind their... Uh, sending the the girls from Moab to seduce them and get them involved in sexual immorality, and they kill Balaam. They they take his life. Um, But Balaam, who's from the east, from the area where these wise men are coming from, he he makes this prophecy of a star and a king who's going to arise in Israel. And um, Dr. Ross's point is, it's, it's very likely that because perhaps Um, They had these collections. They honored Daniel and would have kept some of his stuff, is my guess. They would have kept the Torah that Daniel and Ezekiel would have had. That when they see the star, they go through their religious documents, and they come across this one, and they say, Hey, maybe this is the one. Let's go to Israel. And so the star leads them back there to Israel. Now, at this point, um, we're going to take a hard left in our bicycles, okay? You're on your Don's Banana Seat three-seat three-speed bicycle. We're touring through the Old Testament, and we're going to do a tour of the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament, okay? We're going to look at this light in the Old Testament, okay? Define Shekinah glory for you, first of all. The Shekinah is a visible manifestation of God on earth whose presence is portrayed through a natural occurrence. The word Shekinah is a Hebrew term meaning dwelling or literally the one who dwells. Shekinah glory means he caused it to dwell, referring to the divine presence of God. It's similar to our term residence. Um, so we might see the residence of the glory of God, the, the dwelling of the glory of God, the Shekinah glory is where his glory dwells. It's where it resides. Where does the glory of God reside? Okay? Um, I want to just take you on a tour of the glory of God residing and where it resides in the Old Testament. We're going to find something as we ride our bikes around here, uh, tracing this all out, um, Where the glory of God goes. Um, We talked about this when we studied Exodus. That at the end of the book of Exodus, they they have constructed the tabernacle, the tent. Um, They've constructed the tabernacle. And at the very end of Exodus, last chapter, last few verses, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Twice, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The pillar and the cloud goes down and resides within the tabernacle. Um, It goes into the Holy of Holies, that place that is the the place where only the high priest once a year can go, uh, where the mercy footstool is. They call it the mercy seat. It's probably the mercy footstool. God's feet are there and we come into his presence there because that's where his glory dwells. It's the residence of the glory of God there in the tabernacle. Okay? So God's glory dwells in the tabernacle. Now we're going to move ahead um, to um, the time when the temple is going to be built. The tabernacle um, has moved around in the wilderness. It it ends up in um, Shechem and then Shiloh and then goes to Bethel. And then finally it gets moved to Jerusalem under Saul and David. It's still the tabernacle, the tent, the portable meeting, meeting spot. But then Solomon decides that he wants to build a permanent structure. And so Solomon builds a permanent structure, the temple... And when he finishes the temple, this is what we read. It happened when the priest came from the holy place. The cloud filled the house of the Lord, the temple that they had just built. The cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. Just like Moses. Same thing that happens with Moses happens here. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It says it twice. The glory of the Lord now in the same way has now moved from the tabernacle. Now the glory of the Lord is in the temple. Okay? Well, this is a good thing. Now the glory of the Lord is in the temple until the time of Ezekiel. Then during the time of Ezekiel, um, this is just prior to Daniel and Ezekiel being taken captive up to Babylon, um, the idolatry and wickedness of the Israelites is being exposed and God is saying, look how bad it is before he uses the Babylonians to come down and and take them into captivity. So, So they're just about on the verge of being taken into captivity And this is what happens to Ezekiel. Then in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, I was sitting in my house, and the elders of Judah were sitting before me. And the hand of the Lord Yahweh fell on me there. And I saw, and look, another time, behold, and behold, look, look at this, a figure like the appearance of a man from the appearance of his waist and below was fire. He's fire on the bottom. And from his waist upward was like the appearance of brightness, like the outward appearance of amber. So this fire light guy. Okay, appears to him as he is there. I love the description of what happens next. And he sent out the form of a hand. So out of fire legs and a bright hand, he, bright upper body, he, he sends out the form of a hand, and he took, my, by, took me by the hair of the head. The Spirit lifted me up between the heaven and the earth and brought me to Jerusalem. <laughs> this light figure shows up, grabs him by the hair, and takes him to Jerusalem. Okay, In the visions um, of God, to the doorway of the inner gate that faced north. He takes him to the doorway of the temple at which there was the seat of the image of jealousy which was making jealous. There was the seat of the jealous God was there, the the mercy footstool, the jealous God was there, and he's going to show him what's making God jealous. And he said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing? great detestable things that the house of Israel is committing here so as to drive me from my sanctuary. And yet you will see again, greater detestable things. He picks him up by the hair, takes him, says, look at what's going on in the temple. Do you see the detestable things that are going on inside the temple? I want to show you that. And then he does this. And he brought me to the doorway of the courtyard and look and behold a hole in the wall. <laughs> he says, look, see the hole in the wall. He said, son of man, dig through that wall. So he digs it out And I dug through the wall, and behold, there was a doorway. It's not a closed doorway, it's an open doorway. There's a hole in the wall, he digs it out, now he's looking through, and he sees a doorway open, and now he can see inside what's going on inside the temple. Spirit has picked him up, grabbed him by the hair, stuck him in Jerusalem, said, look through the hole in the wall. He looks through the hole in the wall, sees through a doorway what's going on in the temple. This is what he sees. And he said to me, come and see the detestable things, the evil that they are doing here. And I came and I saw, and behold... All kinds of creatures and detestable beasts, and all of the idols of the house of Israel were carved on the wall all around. (laughs) He looks in, and they're worshiping idols in the temple. No wonder the jealousy was getting jealous. (laughs) God was jealous. You're supposed to be worshiping me here, and now you're carving idols all around. I'm taking you out of here. But before I take you out of here, the glory of the Lord is going to leave. And I want you to pay attention as we take our little bike ride here. Look at your compass. The direction that the glory of the Lord is going to go. Now the cherub were standing on the south side of the temple when the man went in, and a cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. Okay, the glory of the Lord is there, and he's seeing it, and the glory of the Lord rises and moves to the threshold of the temple. To show you a map. The thing I like about this one is it's oriented the right way on the screen. Um, this is the temple courtyard. Uh, this is actually a temple, uh, the temple when Jesus was was around. But it, it's a great model. The the tall part in the middle is the 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 actual temple with the holy of holies. The spirit rises from within the holy of holies and moves to the threshold. And as it moves to the threshold. Stay with me. It's moving east, okay? It's, it's moving to the east. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. So the cherubim is showing him the vision, and, and it's moved. the glory of the Lord has moved to the east, and now it stops above the cherubim. Well, I watched the cherubim spread their wings and, from, uh, and rose from the ground, and as they went, the wheels went with them, Ezekiel's vision from earlier in the book. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. It's going out of its way to show you that the glory of the Lord is moving east. The glory of the Lord moves to the east entrance. Now it's moving east even further, okay? It's not going to stop there. Then the cherubim, with the wheels beside them, spread their wings, and the glory the, uh, glory of the God of Israel was above them. The glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. So it moves to the east part inside the temple, to the threshold, to the gate, and then it moves right out to the edge of the courtyard. Now it's going to move across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, to the mountain east of the temple. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the exiles in Babylon in the vision given by the Spirit of the Lord. Even further east, all the way to Babylon. Let me just show you a little bit of the map. This is Israel. Um, Basically, uh, this is Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. You can see the temple... Mound there on the top, and east of the temple mound, um, there's the Kidron Valley, and then a, a little rise with a small hill mountain there. That's the Mount of Olives. That's so the the Spirit of God. I just I just want you to see it's moving east. It keeps moving east, and it moves to the east of the of the temple itself. Moves to the east of Jerusalem onto the Mount of Olives, and then it goes all the way east, all the way to Babylon. Um, where it's going to travel, again, is from Jerusalem here. It's going to continue east, and, and the Spirit takes him, and it seems like he's following the, the glory of the Lord. It's going to go east over there. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that had, they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Maybe, I don't know. Um, when I don't know, I'm going to tell you I don't know. I don't know. Maybe (laughs) the glory of the Lord that was in the tabernacle, then moved to the temple. Idolatry got so bad that the glory of the Lord couldn't stay in the temple. The glory of the Lord rose, moved to the east over the threshold. Then it moved to the outer doorway. Then it moved out to the courtyard. Then it moved east, kept moving east to the Mount of Olives, and then kept moving east. Last thing we know about the glory of the Lord is it's moving east. These wise men are coming from the east. I'm not so sure that they're not following it back. Maybe what they're following is not a comet. It's not a supernova. Maybe they're following the glory of the Lord, who's going to make his dwelling where? In Jesus. And it's, it's dwelling in Jesus. It's going to be in him until at one point... <laughs> um, The Mount of Transfiguration, they see his glory, and he's shining like a light. Maybe this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 60, 1 through 6. Arise, shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you, talking about the Messiah. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises up among you, and glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Maybe he is that light. (laughs) Maybe the nations are coming because they're coming and they're following the light that's the Shekinah glory that's going to go and be in him. Lift up your eyes and look around. Lift up your eyes and behold, all assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Sons and daughters coming from far away. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. Gifts, wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Uh, Young camels of Midian and Ephah and all the Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. This is exactly what they bring. The fulfillment of all of this is what's happening with the Magi. Psalm 72 says it this way, May the kings of Tarshish and distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all the nations serve him. This is exactly what Matthew is portraying. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this stuff. And is it any surprised that John's going to tell us this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This one was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the light was the light of humanity, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness didn't overcome it. The whole point of this little bike tour through the Old Testament is to say this. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, that's true, whether, whether I'm tracing the Shekinah glory correctly or not. It is true that Jesus is the light of the world. I'm not so sure that it doesn't line up that the dwelling place of God was the tabernacle, then the temple, <laughs> then it left, and then it came back. And, and the Shekinah glory in that light figure may have come over the, the, the manger there and then went down and dwelled in Jesus. We got a peek at it at the Mount of Transfiguration. Then it was covered up regardless of whether I'm right about that or not, Jesus is the light of the world. So I want to encourage you, celebrate and share the light that he brings. This year, be a light in your neighborhood, in your family. I know it's a challenge. Um, We get busy. (laughs) So maybe here's a couple of things you can do. Um, Celebrate that Jesus is the light, and, and perhaps you can do that by touring around and seeing Christmas lights. I mean, we like to see the Christmas lights you know, over in Crooked Creek. you got the Battle of the Blow Ups over there. Um, go, go see that. And, but as you're doing it, and you're entertained by it, and you're showing your kids a giant Snoopy with a Christmas hat, talk about the reason we put lights up is because Jesus is the light of the world. <laughs> Jesus is the light of the world, and, and, um, and they, they followed that light to get there. I want to encourage you as well. Make plans to read the Christmas story with your family. I I don't know. We get so busy and and we stay up too late. We're packing things and, and you can miss it. We had kids. We had young kids one time. I know what it's like. But plan it out now. Just say, we're going to work it in. We're going to work reading the Christmas story as a family together. There's a lot of ways you can do that. You can read it right from Scripture. There's storybook versions of it. Um, come to the Christmas Eve service. I'm going to tell the Christmas story. Um, come to the Christmas Eve service, service Christmas Day. Um, another thing you can do, use the Christmas devotional this year. Use that. It's not too late to start. You can catch up or just start on the day you are. Pick it up at the Connection Center. Use the Christmas devotional this year, to get you connected to the light of the world. Um, Jesus is the light of the world. He came into this world to bring light. And how he bring the light was by showing us the way of being reconciled to the Father. And he did that by what we're going to remember this morning, remembering that he came into the world to bring light and and to show us the way to the Father through His substitutionary death.